Welcome to Covenant Life Church, a ministry that is committed to helping you discover Christ's purpose for your life and leading you towards your best existence by providing you with meaningful ways to affect positive change in your world. Join Pastor Shane as he delivers a powerful and inspirational message for your life today. Studying for this message, I can't tell you how blessed I already am. God has already been at work in me, and I'm thankful that you came through. You fought through the cold, and you got here this morning. The rest of them will get here the second service, and uh, but we are so thankful for that you're here with us this today. I know God has something awesome in store for you. When I was youth pastoring back in the day in Pennsylvania, I had youth like every other church who had stomachs that were like a bottomless pit. If you have teenagers, you know what I mean. It's like there's no end to what it is that they can consume. They can consume and consume and they can consume. And what's crazy is is they don't gain a pound doing so. I don't know how that is, high metabolism, all that other good stuff. But it's like they don't even gain weight. They just can consume and consume and consume. Well, one day we went to a buffet and this buffet was offering free crab legs. No, not free crab legs. All you can eat crab legs along with everything else in the buffet. Well, some of ours from our youth group, I call uh, Bobby and Poppy, decided that they were going to stay and eat literally as much as they could eat. And they were eating crab legs and buffet food for over four hours. Can you imagine? I would not want to be with them after this event, but they were just eating and eating and eating. And finally, the owner comes up and says, no, sorry, you guys have to leave. And they said, well, your sign says all you can eat. And they're like, we had no idea we'd be feeding dinosaurs. We thought those were extinct. You guys are going to have to go. And so they were a little upset. And so they called me up and said, Pastor Mary, kick us out of the buffet. And I said, what'd you think for $10.99? You think you could just eat and eat and eat? And they go, yeah, it says all you can eat. I have a lot more that I could have eaten. And I can't believe they threw me out. That wasn't right. I said, no, it's not right that you eat and eat and eat like that. When do you say no? They called me the next day. Pastor, you were right. When I got home, man, I got really sick. And I was throwing up all night. I probably should have stopped at some point. I was like, yeah, I think our text this morning finds its way right here. Into our nature as people to consume. We consume and we consume and we consume. Not just food, but life. And sometimes our consumption can get the better of us or more so our desire. more. All of us have good and aspirational things for which we yearn. This is true of all of us. But there's more to our lives than that which we consume. And if we're not careful, that which we are hoping to consume will ultimately consume us. Our intersecting point this morning with scripture finds itself in Numbers chapter 11. And it's got a lot to teach us today about our nature, our desire to consume. The Israelites had been delivered powerfully by God from Egypt. Egypt was not only a a place of deep torment, of pain, of suffering, of familial displacement, of mistreatment, of being scourged with whips. And the requirement of, uh, what was required of God was that he would deliver them very powerfully through words that God would give Moses and the Lord sends plagues that ultimately lead them out of Egypt and then parts to sea yet again with another word. And then they're moving along and as they're moving along, God's just faithful and shows up 
they were hungry and they said, we're going to starve out here in the desert. And God miraculously provides food called manna. But they got tired of eating manna. And we pick up our passage in Numbers chapter 11, verse 4. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but manna. The manna was like coriander seed and looked like resin. The people went around gathering it and then ground it in a hand mill or crushed it in mortar. They cooked it in a pot or made it into loaves and it tasted like something made with olive oil. When the dew settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. It's a real interesting passage because in one hand, we can kind of relate. Those of us that have eaten the same thing over and over again, there comes this moment we just kind of get tired of it. Tired of it. My wife asked me one time, do you ever get tired of turkey sandwiches? I said, not yet. And so I eat them often. But she, she was asking an important question because sometimes when our life feels like it's the same, it's the same, it's the same. There's something that we hope to disrupt our sameness, to get us out of the routine, to change it up a little bit, to move on from one uh, job into another, to move on from one relationship into another. But sometimes we need to count the cost before we're doing this. God in his mercy had been providing this manna from heaven, this beautiful bread. But there's something interesting in this nuance. In Exodus 16 and Uh, 31. It says that this manna was sweet. But here in this descriptor, it's no longer sweet. They have different ways of describing it here than they did at first. At first, it was a blessing. And I find it very interesting that there are some times in life, what can be a blessing in one season can be despised in the next. We pray for a job and then we don't like our boss. We pray for that person to marry and then we don't like our spouse. And our tendency is, is to always have this appetite that longs and wants more and more and more. But if we're not careful, we'll start consuming some of the wrong things and our lives will be affected by this. Here, these people who had been graciously by God carried out of a place of bondage and put into, uh, on a journey towards something that would be far greater for them are somehow in the middle of the process becoming discontent with what it is that they have. Have you ever felt discontent? Because it's not working out the way that you want. Have you ever been unsettled in your heart because you want more and somehow can't seem to get it? All of us, of course, can relate to this. Which is why this passage is such intersection for us today. Egypt was a literal place that the people of Israel were bound in. But it's also, as we read in Hebrews 11, a metaphor for sin. So when the people of Israel are craving the food of Egypt, Hebrews talks about that as a kind of bondage 
to sin itself. That it's like going backwards. And we all know people that go back to toxic situations. We know um, some of us have gone back to toxic relationships or places that we know we shouldn't. Or going back to habits that we have since beaten. And other things that have caused our lives to sort of recoil in regret as we find ourselves back and forth in bondage, out of bondage. And, and disturbed and disgusted perhaps with where we find ourselves. These people are murmuring and complaining because the free food that they're receiving, the handouts, is no longer sufficient. And I find it also interesting that what can be a blessing in one generation or one moment in our lives can become an entitlement into the next. That we expect, like we live in a country that provides free uh, education for everyone. It's part of the tax system. It's provided. Everyone is educated for free. But now this education that we have is an entitlement. You owe me this. It's a right. And what happens when something becomes a right is we lose the thankfulness that should come along with living in a great country that provides this. This can be said about anything in our lives. My kids, they look around at the furniture and say, when I get a house, it's going to look like this, this, and this. Not realizing that there was some amount of work and effort and saving money that purchased the things that they enjoy. But they believe that because this is in the house now, that they are also entitled to these things, not recognizing that there's some work that comes along with it. The Israelites yearn for freedom. They want it with all of their heart, but they don't want the freedom with the cost to have it. That there's some price to pay for the journey. And God in his mercy is providing all the help that they need along the way, but then they start to diss the grace that God is offering them. So themselves becoming a disgrace. And I find this true in our own lives as well, that when we come into seasons where we want to consume or we want more or we wish things were different, sometimes in the middle of it, the process part of it can disorient us to the degree that we lose our step and miss the outcome that God intends. That a grumbling heart will keep you away from the blessing that God means for you. So what does it mean to be a thankful people, a people full of thanks? The first thing I noticed about this passage as I was reading it today is that if we're going to really be thankful, then we need to learn to remember, to have remembrance, to, to be a people of remembrance. And this is important, and yet there's a caveat here. Because sometimes we forget where it is that we've come from. And so we've been living in this new world with all the blessings that we have now, forgetting about the times when there wasn't a blessing. Forgetting about the seasons of life when we didn't know how we were going to buy the food that's in now in the cupboard. We forget about those things. And so we, 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 we need to remember what it was like when we didn't have. And that's really where the rub is to the Israelites. It's not that they're not remembering, but they are misremembering. They are idealizing the past. And we do that too. Oh, it was better back in yonder days. It was better when things were more um, to, to my liking, when we had the melons, when we had the leeks, when we had the fish, all you can eat fish, the, the onions, the garlic. It was awesome. We want to go back to that. Missing 
The most terrible part that they were being driven by slave masters to produce bricks. And sometimes we'd willingly go back to bondage for the small slice of pleasure that comes with it. People that have been bound in addiction know what I'm talking about. People that have been in a toxic relationship where the highs are high, but the lows are so low. And we find ourselves sort of re remembering falsely what it was like. Because we've idealized the past. And that's exactly what the Israelites are doing. But for them to make real progress, they need to remember what it was like when they didn't and couldn't work their own land because there was no land to work. That they were producing crops that someone else had access to. And though they were eating, there was a part of their life that caused them to cry so much so that God could hear it from heaven. Scripture says. And yet there's this longing for that same toxicity that God had delivered them from. And I think that's really the problem for us. It's because sometimes we can idealize a season of our lives. Remembering the good. While forgetting the, the hard parts. And some of that we need to do because to process pain, sometimes we need to put it so far in the rear view mirror that it doesn't just keep popping up. But there's a danger to that. Because if we find ourselves doing that too much, we go back not realizing the consequence that also awaits us. You've heard it said that those that do not learn the lessons of the past are destined to repeat them. The Israelites are to go forward. They're to move into the blessing and into the promise that God says, I'm going to send you to a good land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land where there'll be no lack. You will be owners of your own place, but there's going to be this thing in the middle that you're not going to necessarily understand, but I promise I'll meet you all the way. But they're complaining. Manna again? Manna burgers? Manna waffles? But manna bread, manna everywhere you go, it's manna, manna, manna. What they were thanking God for just a year before, they are now upset with God because he's not giving them something else. You owe me. God, I've been faithful. I've worked it with my life. We've got to watch those cravings because if, we're not careful. They'll own us. A buddy of mine, Carl, had lived in Florida his whole life. And at 24 years old, he finally was going to break out of very toxic situations that he was living in. The house that he lived in was very insecure, meaning that they didn't know whether the electric would be on or off when they came home from school as kids. There was never any food in the pantry. His closet only graced a couple of outfits. And so when the opportunity came for him to split town and to move on, he left with eagerness expecting that God would show up. And in fact, God was leading him. Because as soon as he arrived here in this area, the blessing started to come. He gets a job and then quickly was promoted to manager, making almost double what he'd been making before. He was living in the very best place that he'd ever lived in his whole life, not even close. That hand over fist, God was providing and providing and providing and providing. It was amazing. And to see Carl minister was a sight to behold. The anointing on this 
young man's life had yet to be realized and his potential seemingly limitless. But the craving of the old life kept nagging at his heart. Go home. Go home. Go home. Finally, he did. And he, when he got there, there were people waiting to greet him, love him, excited to see him because they hadn't seen him in so long. It was great. It was a homecoming. And that made him yearn for it more. He packed his stuff up, moved back, took his old job, and then in time took on his old life. He messaged me a few weeks ago and he says, you told me it was going to be like this. You told me there'd be open arms to greet me, but before long it would just go back to the way it was. I knew I should have stayed, but the yearning for what I left was so strong. And now I regret it. I'm coming back. But this time I'm coming back to stay. I think that story really encapsulizes well sometimes our miss. A misapprehension of what it is that we are leaving and what it is we're trying to walk through and to. Because there's this something in our heart that is always yearning. For my friend Carl, the issue wasn't where he was located necessarily. It was more so that he needed to guard his cravings because home represented a bunch of bondage and things that God was trying to deliver him from. And for each and every one of us, if we're not careful, our cravings will cause us to yearn for more and more and more. And the problem is, is they bring less and less and less satisfaction. In the same chapter, verse 18, Moses hears a word from God, and this is what it says. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. When you will eat meat... The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five, ten, or twenty days. But for a whole month. You can imagine. The people are excited. Until it comes out of your nostrils. And you loathe it. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, what did we, why did we ever leave Egypt? Sit with that for just a minute. What happens when God gives us what we want rather than what it is that we need? What is it that sometimes our cravings are yearning for that may in time prove to be very toxic? We believe sometimes that what we want is what we need. We believe sometimes that that which we crave is what it is that we should pursue. Part of the provision of the manna was to change their taste for the bondage that they were becoming free of. And the cost of freedom will always mean walking through some difficult seasons of cutting ties with what it is you're trying to leave. 
And this is really important because sometimes we'll miss the bigger blessing because we're still tied to our past that God is trying to deliver us from. God was giving them heavenly bread, supernatural bread on which they would eat and he would provide it every single day. And the scripture tells us in Deuteronomy that the reason was, is God wanted to teach them that they don't live by bread alone. That you don't live by bread alone. I don't live by bread alone. But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And it's that that should orient our steps. Even when the seasons that we're walking through don't look like blessing. Just because it doesn't right now doesn't mean that it won't later that the journey of scarcity, of sometimes longing, is part of it. As the slaves soon found out themselves as they were marching through the Underground Railroad, eating berries and whatever they could, just so they could get to a place that was free. Here so the people of God are having to leave the bondage of the past. That means also cutting ties with the fish and the leeks and the onions to leave the sin that's pleasurable for a season that I'll provide for a moment, but then leave you wanting and never finally bring the cure. Sometimes if we pray hard enough, God might give us what it is that we want. But then when it's coming out of our nostrils, when the relationship is erupting in pain, when what it is that we yearn for proves to be far less and what it is that we hope. The disappointment is magnified and the pain becomes thick and real inside our souls to the degree that it's hard to consume anything else. A buddy of mine, when my second daughter was just a baby, we were at a restaurant and he decided he wanted to feed her chocolate cake. We says, hey, she's not ever had any of that. He goes, it's okay, I'm her uncle. I get to give her what I want. I'm, t- I'm telling you, you probably shouldn't be giving her that chocolate cake. We don't give our kids that kind of stuff. It's whatever. So he's like, giving this kid chocolate cake. And of course, the baby likes the taste of the chocolate cake. And he's feeding the baby the chocolate cake and feeding the baby the chocolate cake. And the baby's just consuming it. He goes, see, she likes it. No sooner the words come out of his mouth than throw up all over his face and his clothes. I said, Yeah, she loved it. You see, he was giving her what it is that she wanted rather than what it is that she needs. And sometimes when God relents and indeed gives us what it is that we want, we may find that it is absolutely not at all what it is that we need. Listen to this, verse 33. But while the meat was still between their teeth, and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people. And he struck them with a severe plague. Therefore, the place was named Kibrath Hataba, because they, there they buried the people who had craved other food. Kibrath Hatava means grave, graves of the craving. How many graves, literal ones, are marked? with the unsavory desire for more and more and more. Potential that was missed. Opportunities left. Moments where something good and productive could have been produced, but instead they chose the kibroth hatava, the graves of the craving, so that they could eat more and more and more. 
some of my great friends, John and Ashley, were all about the status. It mattered which zip code they lived in. It mattered what kind of house they lived in and so they pursued it with all of their heart until they were living in one of the best houses of any of us. House almost a million dollars in value, beautiful and, and stately and the status of their jobs just telling this couple looked like success. Their child, their one son went to the finest schools but something was missing in their pursuit of what they thought success looked like, in their pursuit of what, it, of, of what it is that they thought that they wanted and needed, somewhere along the line, they stopped nurturing what it is that actually was fueling their lives and making them a success. Their relationship with God was waning, their church attendance slipping. And then, not long ago, a phone call to me, Pastor. My life's a mess. Can I get it back? I wanted to tell him yes. But having seen these situations before, the outcomes are always uncertain. You don't know whether too much water is passed under the bridge for there to be a return, whether there was going to be any healing because they're yearning for more. It caused the marriage to break so decisively that ultimately there was no way forward. Possessions were divided, the household broken, and both in lament, where did we go wrong? It was in the craving. And for us, it's the same. We crave inordinately things that also are very toxic for us. For these Israelites, it was this this, this quail, this bird that just showed up and God provides it supernaturally. But it was more that they were rejecting God's bread and wanted something else. And sometimes when we yearn for something more than what God has for us, it will leave us wanting in a way that we have never wanted. The third lesson I see in our text today is that process matters. Because process is the underpinning of purpose. And if we're going to be people full of thanks, we need to recognize that we're all in process and that God uses lean and abundance to be a blessing for us when we receive them in the correct way. That God was trying to take them to a place of abundance, to the land of milk and honey, to the blessing that God intended for them, but knew that if he tried to accelerate the process, that they would not be able to handle that which they were purposed to have. And so the struggle itself, the difficulty, the pain, the adversity was part of the process. God intended for there to be some, some moments where they needed and didn't have so that God could provide for them. And we see this explicitly stated in Exodus 13 and 17. It says that Pharaoh let the people go. God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that way was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. That the process for deliverance was harder because they weren't prepared for what the battles that they were going to face. So God, in his mercy, takes them the long way. Could it be that God is being merciful to you by taking you the long way? And could it be that you're frustrated at the wrong thing? 
That what you should be frustrated about is how it is that you still don't trust that God is your source when you've seen him show up time and time and time again. That you believe that somehow God isn't going to provide even though you've seen him provide. It's here that you're learning how to war. It's learning how to trust and walking through so that you can find the victory that God intends. But it comes through process. In the kingdom of God, process is everything. That for God to give you the resources that he intends for your life without the ability to steward them would be unfaithful of God to do. And right now, you might be in a season of frustration just like the Israelites found themselves. But process matters. Caused them to hunger them and then fed them. He wanted them to know that all along the way, even in seasons of scarcity, that he would be the source. You need water? I can bring it forth from a rock. You need victory over an enemy. Watch what I do. I can cause the sun not to go down in the sky and to hold it up just so that this battle will end today and not tomorrow. That's how awesome God is. But in the middle of our own journey, if we've missed the process of what God is trying to do, often we won't receive the outcome. If we're trying to accelerate it faster than we should have it, we may have it, but then get it in a way that we weren't intended. It's about the process. It's about the learning. It's about the growing. It's about the trusting. It's about seeing the visitation of God. It's about the mercy of God that meets us at every turn. And the Lord reminds of them of this in Deuteronomy. He goes, when you were in the wilderness, your clothes never wore out. Your shoes, they're still good. You Walk through this season and what should have killed some people didn't because I was teaching you some things. Process. I remember talking to this one young fellow that come in my office. He says, Pastor, come in. This brazen young man sitting in my desk chair in my, in my, in my pastorate in Florida. And I'd been mentoring this. He's a young adult at this point, probably in his mid to late 20s. He's got his feet up on my desk. And he says to me, Pastor, one day I'm going to have your office. I said, okay, you're going to have this office? And I just kind of smiled at him. I said, well, it ain't your office yet, so get your feet off my desk and get out my chair. Come sit over there. And he kind of smiled, smiled. He comes over to the other side. He sits down. I said, talk to me, man. I said, what is it you want? He goes, man, I want to be a pastor. I want to reach people like you do. You pastor this great church and you've got all of these people that, that, that you trust for ministry and all the great things that God is doing. I want to do what you do. Okay, well, there's a process. You need to go to school. So I went back and talked to the board and, and they, they agreed that they were going to pay for some of his Bible classes. That this is, we want to believe in this young man. We want to help him get to where he's going. So I call him up on the phone. And I say to him, hey, man, I got some good news, man. I want to meet you in my office because you show up by 9 o'clock. He's like, man, I'll be right there. So he shows up. And I say, all right, man, I got some really good news. We as a church, we believe in you. The board and the pastors here, we believe in you. And we want to get behind you. We want to pay for your first semester of courses at, the, at Bible school. He looked at me and said, that's it? You got me out of my house and tell me that's it, man? I thought you were going to give me a job. I thought you were going to hire me as a pastor. I said, Get out of my office. 
you do not belong in here. Get out. You are not welcome in my office. I said, go see Pastor Chris down the hall. I said, maybe he can talk some sense into you. And about an hour later, he comes back. He goes, man, I'm sorry. I said, what are you sorry for? He goes, man, I, I just was expecting more. I said, you wanted an outcome without the process to get there. And I asked my, him the question. I asked my kids all the time. I said, let me ask you something. Am I more willing to help someone that is grateful or someone that is ungrateful? Well, my kids, they were smarter than this young man, and they say, well, someone that's grateful. I said, yes, a grateful heart produces the ability to receive and understands that everything is grace. I learned that a long time ago because I kept getting frustrated in my ministry that people that could have helped me and should have helped me and had every reason to help me wouldn't. Until finally I just decided that everything is grace in that I, everything that I have is a blessing. And that, that change of mindset reframed the way that I think about everything. I expect nothing from anyone. Only what comes is all blessing and grace. And it causes me to receive it differently. Because I don't expect, I just receive with thanksgiving and grace. What's really interesting is we're just a couple of chapters and numbers in our reading this morning away from the spies going into the promised land, the 12 spies. And two different groups of people, two and 10, 10 go into the promised land and have one experience. They're surveying it, they're investigating it, they have one experience. And then there's two that go in and have a completely different experience. One's come back and say, as we discussed last week in our, in our message, just in a brief uh, glimpse at this passage, they said, no, 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 we can't take the land because we'd be like grasshoppers in their sight. They're way too powerful for us. We don't have the ability to overcome. They're just too strong for us. And two said, oh no, we got this. Like, what's the difference maker here? It's Thanksgiving. It's Thanksgiving. It's a clear understanding that God is working all of it. And we hear about this. And, and the psalm of praise from Joshua actually shows up in psalms of all places. You won't find it in the book of Joshua like you do um, Moses in the account of Deuteronomy. He's praising God for all that God had done. And at the Exodus, when you see that account as well, here we find his praise in psalm. It was so good that the songwriters continued to carry it for years and years and years. And I just want to read it to you. Can I do it? In psalm 114, I'm going to read the whole psalm. It's just eight verses, very short. When Israel came out of Egypt, Jacob from a people of foreign tongue, Judah became God's sanctuary. Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled. The Jordan turned back. The mountains leapt like rams. The hills like lambs. Why was it, see, that you fled? Why, Jordan, did you turn back? Why, mountains, did you leap like rams? You hills like lambs. Tremble, earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob who turned the rock into a pool, the hard rock into springs of water. You see, 
Joshua can't help but praise. And he's full of thanksgiving knowing that God has provided the blessing and that God is the source. And so what I've learned in life is that there are always people that experience any environment in two different ways. You can show up this morning and go, you know what? That wasn't for me. It was horrible. I didn't receive anything. And a lot of times your attitude will determine the outcome. That your posture of receptivity will determine that which you receive. If I've come expecting, I might ex receive. But if I come not expecting, I can promise you, it's very rare that you'll actually receive. That the receptivity of the heart to what it is that God is doing positions it for either receiving a blessing or not. They're all walking through the wilderness. They're all going through times, but Joshua's not complaining because the manna is good enough because he knows he's on a journey to possessing a promise. And sometimes we don't recognize it, that the journey is part of the process so that when we get into the promised land, we can possess all that God intends for us and for you. But if we come with an attitude of ungratitude, if we come with discouragement and defame of the good things that God has done then chances are that which we desire we may actually get and when we receive them we find them to be as empty as they actually are worship team if you come back this idea was made so plain to me Several years back, I was on a missions trip with a bunch of people from our church. Big team, 25, 30, 35, I don't know, it was a large team. We needed a huge bus to carry everyone. And it was really interested as I was leading this group of people to hear their responses. There were some that were complaining the entire time that we were there. No air condition. We don't have showers. I'm tired of taking a shower out of a bucket. Failing to see even across the street the people that didn't even have bread to eat that day. See, gratitude is never about what it is that we already have. It's about a posture of the heart that makes us ready to receive. So in the middle of this trip, we're like watching and there's people that are having a really bad experience and they're saying, man, I can't wait to get home dreaming about chicken nuggets and fries from McDonald's, Big Macs, I don't know, Whoppers. And they're all talking about that. But then there's this whole other group. When the bus broke down, tire was flat on the side of the road when they were jacking it up and the jack slipped and almost fell on somebody they were thankful that it didn't fall on them they were thankful that there was someone to help with the repair of the tire and every time someone would go wrong it says, and I would say hey guys it's going to be alright no no pastor it's perfect they would say it's perfect I, I, I'm just thankful to be here I'm thankful for what God's doing in my life and at the end you had two different experiences on the very same trip. For many, it was life-changing. 
They made relationships on that trip that were nurtured for a lifetime. And for some, it was death. Some lost faith, not because of the trip, but because of their heart at, if, that was just sort of blocking the lack of receptivity in their heart, keeping at bay all the good things that God was trying to bless them with because they wanted it in their comfort zone. They wanted to receive the blessing in their comfort zone. Could it be that you're stuck this morning because of the same reasons? We all have an opportunity to face every moment two different ways with gratitude and expectation. God's come through for me before he's gonna come through again. Or, you know what? Things never work out for me. It's never gonna turn around. It is what it is. Who am I more likely to help? Somebody that has a gratitude in their heart and in their spirit. Or somebody that doesn't, thinks that they're entitled. Here's what I've learned about the nature of God as he gives to both equally. Just the one with gratitude receives it differently and that makes all the difference. The manna never stopped coming for those that crave quail. They just want to quail too and it killed them. And that truth is there for us today. And as we're marching towards Thanksgiving in just a couple of weeks, we're sitting around together with family, with friends, with loved ones, and enjoying all that God does. How will we receive that moment? How will we receive this moment? And every moment leading up to it will make all the difference on the outcome. God came through for Israel. God brought them into the promised land. Ten spies never saw it. Two did. It was the attitude that determined their altitude, so to speak, as they say. It determined it. And that's true for us today. Spirit of living God, I feel your presence working here so strong. Join Pastor Shane of Covenant Life Church next time for another powerful and inspirational message. To find out more about Covenant Life Church, log on to www.covenant-life.com or call 919-462-1932. Remember, living life without direction is meaningless. Living a purpose life with direction from Jesus Christ is your life fulfilled.